to Everyday Theology, where we don't tell you what to believe or why to believe it, but rather explore our Christian beliefs and why they matter for us in relation to God, to creation, and to others. My name is Aaron Ross. Welcome back to Everyday Theology. With me uh, is my favorite, I hate saying favorites or, you know, excited, but I say it every time. But if you listen to this podcast, you know, I love having Chris uh, with me. And the other day I was working on a course for uh, a college I teach at on uh, the person of Christ. And as I was kind of looking through some things, I realized I, there was not a lot, it sounds odd to say, we've, you know, talking about Jesus ad nauseum in so many ways, but <laughs> when you actually like look on all the places I was looking, whether it was podcasts or videos or whatever, to, for some supplemental stuff on the actual humanity of Christ, what I found was it was primarily everything I found was in kind of reformed perspectives mm-hmm. and not a lot of whether it's Pentecostals or other streams that really were talking about the humanity of Christ and what that meant. So of course my first response was to text Chris and say, Chris, I can't find anything. You know, do you want to, or do you know someone who would be uh, willing to jump on and do a podcast with me on this subject selfishly so I can also use it for my classes? Uh, To which of course, Chris was gracious in saying yes. So Chris, thanks for being here. That's a long introduction to say, thanks for taking the time to do this, man. Oh man, I'm excited about it. It's good to good to have an excuse to talk with you again. Yeah, I know. I I agree. I was going to try to say something witty there, but nothing came at all. <laughs> it's too late uh, in the day. Um, hey, so Chris, you know, I told you that you know, one of the listeners know that that's the reason for this podcast, right? Like when we think about the person of Jesus, you know, it's it's interesting that sometimes our vernacular betrays our understanding, right? You know, we talk about Jesus Christ, right? But usually we we think about Jesus in this, this God reality, right? Jesus is God. And so the humanity can often be downplayed uh, when we actually think, I mean, especially when we bypass all of Jesus life just for this one part to go, well, he died and he rose again. Therefore, you know, you can be saved and Jesus did what Jesus did. And, and that's really hard when you actually try to get into conversations on, well, what does it mean for Jesus to be human? Why, whether we talk about the incarnation, what does it mean for God to become man? Or we talk about just the fact that Jesus didn't just become, didn't just come as a 33 year old and then just go, okay, throw me up on a cross. Mm -hmm. Great. And now I'm resurrected. Great. And here I am. There's something about this bit in between this birth and this death and resurrection that's really important to ponder upon. And so my question just to throw out to you and to start our conversation is why is it important for us to not bypass the humanity of Jesus and actually spend time thinking about what does it mean to say that Jesus was human? Mm. Yeah. I mean, I guess a, a truly adequate answer to that question would take in almost the entire scope of Christian theology. (laughs) Right. The art, you know, everything for us as Christians hinges on that conviction that God is among us as one of us, right? That God is human, that our God is a human God. And as, 
as Bonhoeffer puts it, not just that he is a human being, but that he takes on human being itself, right? So I think to jump right into the deep end, I think why a human being and not say an angel as the book of Hebrews talks about, or as some kind of manifestation that was not truly a creature in its own right, right? In other words, God, I suppose, at least as a thought experiment, we, we might say, what if God had created an image for himself, an, an yeah. avatar yeah. that wasn't in itself a creature, didn't have integrity in itself as a as a creature? What What difference would that make? And I think the Christian answer to that is it makes all the difference in the world because of what humans are created to do which is mediate God to the rest of creation. Mm, so, yeah. so the human being, human beings as a whole, so the, the whole number of human beings, that our job, what we were created to do, is essentially mediate God to creation, the rest of creation, and the rest of creation to God. Right. And yeah. we have a, a priestly function in that sense. And Jesus is the one who's taken our humanity as his own and created it in his own life so that we can live it right created the humanity we need an example would be jesus is tempted so we can be tempted in ways that that lead to life and not death jesus obeyed so that we can obey jesus is filled with the spirit so that the spirit can rest upon us right jesus reads scripture so that reading scripture becomes possible for us and so on so on everything jesus does is creating possibility for us. So like if, if you if you're looking for like one sentence to formulate that, I would say I would say it like this because he is God, nothing happens to Jesus except what he wants to happen for us differently. Yeah. So he takes on human being as the word, as the son, and then lives human being in such a way that he creates the possibility of us fulfilling our vocation. Mm. of us doing what we're supposed to do as human beings so if that's right if something like that is right then everything right depends upon upon being human yeah i like that too you know because it makes maybe greater sense of this idea of of paul in calling jesus the second adam right because it, it takes into trajectory the whole of the story of the plight of humanity right or maybe what nt Wright would call that plight right from from that that creation to to our sinfulness to now this salvation or this way of of coming back to being human right the way that you're expressing it yeah. and and I think it's really important for so many to recognize that the second Adam isn't just some kind of spiritual thing oh right absolutely. yeah and I think that's yeah. where where the problem is for some people is that they hear the term second Adam and they go that's just a spiritual thing. That's just like a, a spiritual, but, but really Paul had something really deep about humanity and talking about the second Adam, right. In the way that you're expressing this. Yeah. So I think one way of thinking about it, the, the go back to that line for Bonhoeffer that I quoted a moment ago, Jesus did not just become a human being. He took on human being itself. So when Paul talks about Christ as the last Adam, he doesn't mean another one alongside the first right so we tend to think and some of this is being trapped in fundamentalism like we think of adam as 
a historical person in the way that your father and mine yeah are historical persons and adam's just at the beginning of the line of human beings right and then, then jesus comes and offers a spiritual alternative yeah. to the reality created by the initial adam the first man named adam but i i think that's again fundamentalistic and false to what scripture actually says and false to what the tradition has told us that when we talk about adam we are talking about humanity we mean and here i'm drawing a lot on gregory of nyssa we we mean the sum total of human beings so every human being who's ever lived from you know all those many millennia ago when humans first emerged as humans in the process yeah of evolution and the last human being who's going to be alive right the you know the before the end of the world as we know it right so the sum total of all human beings who ever live that's adam adam as it is in itself as we can know it the adam humanity as we can get access to it is the first adam meaning it's the the adam that can be known by sight you know paul talks about we we walk not by sight but by faith right we yeah not look at the things that can be seen we look at the things that cannot be seen the language of hebrews is it's by faith we understand that the things that appear did not come from things that can be seen so humanity as we know it apart from faith it's fallen it's alienated from itself and that's true of all in that number the right. first one to the last one right jesus is that humanity in its fullness it's true nature so, is, yeah. is given in him right he accomplishes it so when we say that he's the last humanity we don't mean he's one out of a number of however many billions or whatever there are in the finite numbers of human beings it's he is all of us he's lived in such a way that all of us can be truly human like we can yeah. be human in every way that god has purposed us to be jesus has created that he's lived in such a way that it's become possible yeah opening up the reality for us to truly be human right by living it exactly yeah. and that's why you know that line from gregory the theologian what is not assumed is not healed right so jesus undergoes it takes on the full human experience and and lives it to the full so that all of that territory all human experience in its in its full dimensionality all of that is lived by jesus and and therefore has been made possible for us the yeah suffering, I, the suffering what you know the the joys and the sorrows the suffering and the victory like all of that has been achieved for us i i think and maybe i can put it in a different way and a different spin here just to kind of say it differently especially some of these early church fathers when they thought of adam they didn't see adam it didn't matter so much if adam was a real being or not right yeah. and and the reality is we can say it that way to, to not diminish if he was great if he sure. wasn't we don't lose the value of adam or the understanding maybe the story of adam right what adam well, actually sure. meant and there must have been of course some first human being right sure. right but and we can't limit what is being said in scripture or the tradition to that right so of course there's someone but when scripture is talking about humanity man as you talked about it right. earlier, 
like we can't limit it to some one individual at the beginning of the right. law. And and so what I mean by that is, you know, some of the early church fathers say they would talk about Adam as a prototype, right? Mm-hmm. Like this Adam presented the prototype for what humanity what the sum of humanity would become, right? Or do, right? So this the sinfulness, it's rather than original sin, it's this kind of prototype of Adam is in all of us, right? What maybe the way that you're talking about Jesus is almost this this last Adam, second Adam idea is not so much the spiritual, you know, just refreshing, killing the old you, and now you have a new you because of the last Adam, as much as it is Jesus is this prototype of all of humanity, what it was supposed to be and what it can now be because it's opened up in the life of Christ, right? Absolutely. It's it's the, he is the canon of what it means to be human right so we know what sin is because of its deviation from the way christ lives his humanity we know what obedience is we know what joy is we know what suffering is what death is what victory is on down the line i mean jesus determined all of that he he is the one who he is the one who makes the truth true and the good good and the beautiful beautiful like he's he's that's what it means to say he's the creator and that he creates through this life that he lives, right? From from womb to tomb, like he right. creates that. So on one hand, we can say, you know, to sum up maybe this part of it, it's just to say it, there is this deep recognition of, of realizing that the humanity of Jesus is not just something to be bypassed, but it really has an importance when it talks about opening up the life, the human life uh, for all people, what it truly means to be human found in the humanity of Christ because Christ is also God, right? Yeah, absolutely. And if we're right, if the tradition is right in the way it reads the scriptures, then humans are that way for the sake of the whole creation. So think Romans 8, most obviously. The rest of creation is groaning, waiting on the manifestations of human beings. And Jesus has made that manifestation real and realizable yeah. right he's he's done it so hebrews 2 quotes psalm 8 says we don't see this fulfilled yet we don't see human beings in dominion that was purpose for them that yeah. that's what we're awaiting but we already see that fulfilled in jesus like he is the lord he's the one who's come and lived that dominion and it looks like this it looks like right. this life of humility and miracles and witness to the kingdom and sharing the table with people who no one else wants to be associated with and washing feet and ultimately a death on the cross like that. That's what it means to, to live dominion. And I, I think it's, it's impossible to overstate the, the vitality of the humanity of Jesus because it's through the humanity of Jesus that all things have come to be right. I mean, this is the argument of Hebrews one, John one, Colossians one, like all things came into being, John, the Gospel of John, chapter one. Like all things came into being in Him. Right? Yeah. And what comes into being in Him is life, and that life is the light of human beings, right? That so what our our being came into being inside of Him, inside yeah. of His of His love for us and care for us, and you know the language of Paul or Hebrews. Like he holds all things together. All things are upheld by his word. So, and it's because Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever that 
there is a, a past and a present and a future and there is sun and moon and stars and every, every everything holds together in the in, yeah. in and around the truth that god is human and that that kind of language also helps give further clarity to this idea of the image of god right that this this once used phrase that can be enigmatic that oftentimes are maybe more systematic theological minds will want to kind of parse and break down into this is it rationality is it is it responsibility is it relationality some of the kind of i think of those three r's that are used what builds the image of god and it's almost i don't want to say more simple because i think all those are part of it but it really is that that mission of and maybe that's summed up in the responsibility part but being image bearers of God into the world and God's representative into creation mm-hmm. that we failed at and Christ makes possible for all of us to do in our physical sense, not this waiting for some kind of afterlife, you know, we oh, get right. to truly be it. It's here now in which we are supposed to be the image bearers of God. Absolutely. Yeah. I think he is the image. I mean, that's the way the scripture talks about it. Christ is the image of God. Right. And and that to to have for you and for me to bear the image of God is to bear the calling to become like Christ. So like in Romans, again, what does Paul say? Like all of us have been predestined to be conformed to the image of the son. But like that's that's what it will mean for us to to be image bearers, to live the life that he's yeah. creatively lived. Right. He's lived right. it. And in living it, he's made it possible for us to live. Right. He, everything nothing has happened to him, but what he wants to happen differently for us. Right. So everything he's undergone, everything he took up and experienced, he generated for us, those possibilities. Right. And he's in the language of Dionysius, another church father figure. He creates a new way of being human. Mm, Yeah. Through the theandric union Dionysius talks about, he creates a new way of being human. And that's what Ephesians is talking about, right? With in Christ, there is one new humanity. So let's maybe now take that into from maybe from this kind of like, not only say esoteric, but, you know, from this kind of higher level thinking to the actual physicality of the conversation, right? So by that, I mean, what can be gleaned or what is important to actually pay attention to when we talk about the humanity of Christ. So we do see this way in which we can be image bearers, right? I think that's sometimes what is passed over. I think, unfortunately, even though I just asked a question, I'm going to keep rambling, right? Like, unfortunately, um, we do have this kind of way about us within evangelical circles that we love Paul because Paul kind of tells us, you know, here's the, here's the things to think, here's the things to do. And Jesus is a narrative about life, right? And we actually learn through the narrative of Jesus. So we often kind of skip it because it's a little bit harder to, maybe it's just not, it's not quite so cut and dry as we might like it to be. So what is it then with kind of Jesus, if we actually not fall into that same trap, but actually kind of look at the life of Jesus, his physical life. What is it that we learn? Maybe just a couple points to help people start thinking about how do I start thinking about some of the physicalness of yeah. the person of Christ? Well, I mean, I think right at the heart of it is that finitude, mute, you know, changeability, uh, vulnerability, 
these things are are good and can be lived in ways that are satisfying and life-giving so so he he comes and he he's born right he's incredibly vulnerable and dependent so he's a fetus he's an infant you know the the line in the psalm you know i i can't remember which psalm it is miss now it slipped my mind but in out of the mouth of babes and sucklings you have perfected praise hmm. and jesus uh, in in his dependence on his mother right nursing like any baby would nurse like your your son or mine like it, any child and that ra- kind of radical dependency that the child reveals to us like we know that to be good because jesus took it as his like he hmm, yeah he claimed it as his own and his salvific work the work that creates the image of god for us is just as much happening when he's in the womb and at Mary's breast as it is when he's on the cross. Hmm. And if we don't have a sense of that, then we not only narrow his work down to the suffering on Good Friday, but we also then narrow down the work we have to do to Hmm. particular things, you know, so that the only thing that really matters is, you know, the sermons I preach or the missions trips that I take or, you know, whatever it might be. But, what Jesus is showing is that the whole of the human life from womb to tomb, like that whole reality, including that stuff that's not even worth naming, right? Like that the overwhelming parts of his majority of his life was so uneventful that nobody noticed who he was, right? I mean, when he does announce his calling and his purposes, people who had known him all his life are like, Whoa, where did this come from? <laughs> right. right. Which tells right. you he had lived with such ordinariness that they hadn't imagined that this was a prophet, much less God in the flesh. Right. It's unthinkable for them to have thought God in the flesh. Yeah. But, but I mean, he didn't apparently even seem precocious, right. He didn't, he didn't stand out even in a small town as somebody who was, extraordinarily gifted or you know burdened by the spirit or anything like and i think right. that is like a stunning revelation of what god what matters to god right that so not just physicality not just limitedness but ordinariness is holy like just hmm. doing stuff that nobody's going to notice because it's so humdrum every day but yeah that is just as much claimed by god as his as the Sermon on the Mount or walking on the water or Good Friday and Easter. Yeah. So I think I think that's that's a place to begin at least is is delighting in the God who is vulnerable and dependent, but also just ordinary, right? Like just another guy in that sense. Yeah. I I, I really love that because I think there's this tendency, especially for those who have grown up reading the Bible or grown up, you know, felt bored Sunday school, right? And you hear all of these extraordinary tales, right? Whether, you know, Jonah and the big fish, right? And yep. and and Moses and uh even just as you were talking about, you know, not standing out, Joseph, right? And this, you know, standing Absolutely. out to his father in this coat of many colors and, and all that got him into. We can have this tendency to prioritize these extraordinary moments 
right? Or, or, or assume that if this, if these things aren't happening, then something's not holy, something's not blessed, right? That, that kind of language that's used in the church all the time. Look at this massive growth or look at this big thing or look, it, it were blessed mm-hmm. and failing to recognize that I love that kind of understanding of the person of Christ in this, his life was so ordinary. He just, all of a sudden people were kind of like confused by Jesus announcement yeah. uh, and, and almost couldn't believe it just because it was so ordinary. But because this is the life of Christ, it makes that ordinariness just as holy as the extraordinary moments as well. I, oh, I think yeah, absolutely. No, not just almost. It is as holy, right? That right. In terms right. of what he's creating, those moments those what we might call throwaway moments of, you know, conversation with his parents or with his friends or time alone, you know, tending to the animals or whatever it is, right. Reading, sleeping, like all of those moments are a part of the fabric that is the image of God. And and it's, it's a seamless garment and it, all of that stuff is just as integral, just as vital as again, the sermon on the Mount or the walking on the water or, dying on the cross. Yeah. And I think uh, there's been a lot of reflection, maybe in more recent times, of course, of Jesus kind of birth narrative, right? This being born to, to the poor, being a refugee in another country, uh, a political refugee, right? Like some of the things that's been talked about a lot. And I think that's some of those areas that aren't necessarily taken so seriously with the person of Christ, when we actually do start to recognize Jesus wasn't born to rich and powerful. He's born to the lowly and the poor. You know, he is someone who is not welcomed in his own land and has to flee somewhere else. And and these yep. things teach us about humanity, right? The, how we should respond, the proper responses and the improper responses. And I think that's why we don't, want to ponder sometimes the story of Jesus, right? Because it's easier not to than it is to actually ponder Jesus' humanity-ness. Humanity-ness. I don't know if that's a word, right? But his his humanness, right? Like we don't like to ponder it because it does. The actual humanity of Jesus calls us to account in our own humanness that we feel uncomfortable with, and it challenges those areas such as the ordinariness or the thinking about the refugee or thinking about the poor or thinking about that. I would rather just kind of say, eh, I would, I'd rather not. So Paul tells me to have the fruit of the spirit and I'm, I'm good. I'm good with that. I can do that, but I don't know. Taking care of the refugee is tough. I think, I think our, our beliefs about God and our beliefs about ourselves and the world and salvation are, and we've talked about this lots of times. I, I I think they're pretty incoherent. I think we are a people of first thoughts. In everyday English, when we talk about someone having second thoughts, we mean they're doubting. Yeah. They're questioning their own first thoughts. When really having second thoughts should be, that's what thinking is. That's what discernment is. That's what mm, yeah. learning is, right? Right. So I think part of what's happened in our churches is we've kind of given people a grab bag of first thoughts and we've discouraged them from getting to a second thought about any of those. 
and from thinking any thoughts that reach from one first thought to another first thought to connect them. Huh, yeah. So I think there are times in which we're intimidated by the humanity of Jesus because it's mysterious, the virgin birth, the resurrection, his intimacy with God, his victory in the wilderness, the the struggles in the garden. I think there are, depending on which first thought we're starting with, sometimes Jesus is too human for us, like his yeah. humanity feels too real. And then there are other times in which it's it doesn't feel real enough, like he seems divine rather than human, or human in a way that's superhuman. We could never achieve it. Yeah. I think- if Maybe give an example at, of that real quick. I don't so mean to interrupt you, but like- No, no, no. no that, that, that's good. So I think we're- offended by some of the mysteries so like the virgin birth this is why i think like people panic when you start talking about mary you talk about mary as the mother of god or talk about mary's virginity in the moment of giving birth to jesus like there are all kinds of ways in which that frightens us right like yeah we we want to insist that no when mary was delivering jesus it was just like any other birth that's ever happened right so even though we would most of us at least would assume, well, the conception wasn't like any other, the delivery was right. So when Jesus right. is born, you know, there's screaming and wailing and blood and the tradition is argued. I mean, this is what the doctrine of the virgin birth is, is about in part that Jesus birth is as unique as his conception is. Hmm. And, and yet it, he is fully human. That's a mystery for us. And it's, it's hard. Like we don't know how to stomach those kinds of claims. So then we, and if we come to resurrection, for instance, we want the resurrection to have as much continuity with, now, now, again, there this plays differently in different places at different times, but by and large, people want the resurrected Jesus to have the same kind of physicality that the Jesus who walked on the water did, right? The Jesus yeah. who slept in the boat did. And when... And so we we play up the physicality, the the accessibility of the resurrected Jesus. The same time, when we see him you know, victorious in the wilderness, we don't think, "Oh, well, that shows that obedience is possible for us." We think, "Well, yeah, right, okay, yeah." Right. Or right. when we or we say things like, "You know, as a human being, he's sleeping in the boat." But once he gets awakened, now as God, he calms the storm, or as God, he walks on the yeah, water. Yeah, yeah. And we we don't we don't take his temptation seriously. We don't take his exhaustion or his hunger seriously. We don't take, I think, the sense of the weight of his suffering seriously because we're dismissing all of that as well. I mean, he's God, right? And what the point I'm trying to make here is that we kind of hold all those things incoherently. Like we don't think through the, how they're all related. It's just some things strike us as too human and other things is not human enough. And either way, we feel alienated from Jesus, right? He's either too human for me and I need him to be God or he's not human enough. And I really do need someone who knows what it's like to be me. And unfortunately, a lot of what passes for discipleship and ministry in our churches can't help people make those connections right right and i'm man i'm i'm it's it's late 
we talked a little beforehand. London had some things and yeah. I haven't gotten a lot of sleep. So this name, this heresy is absolutely like slipping my mind here. So, you know, fill me in. But because what you're saying is, is an ancient heresy, this kind of attempt to actually almost absolutely. bipartisan Jesus divine life and his human life mm-hmm. and to be able to kind of sideline, well, that's just Jesus when he's being God. And that's just Jesus when he's being human yep. rather than recognizing there's nothing that happens that Jesus does that is not him doing it as both God and human simultaneously. That's right. It's a kind of Nestorianism, what you're the, <laughs> there was, the yes, language thank you. you're looking for. But I mean the the fact is, you know, our heresies are a grab bag of heresies, right? So sometimes we are essentially Arians. We see Jesus as less than God. Right. And as a kind of intermediary being between God and us, depending on what we're talking about. But other times we don't, we don't take his humanity seriously at all. We see him as God who's essentially fronting as a human being, right? Whose humanity is nothing more than an avatar, as I was talking about at the beginning. And so to try to think Christologically in a coherent way, there's so much work to do because we're, we're reacting based on this, what I've called a grab bag of first thoughts that we've been given that tell us that Jesus is human, but then also tell us that Jesus is God. And we don't know how to hold those together. Well, and we kind of veer back and forth, I think from one heresy to the next. Yeah. Which, which is an interesting thing for, for those who haven't studied the heresies, these ancient Christological heresies, um, but even for those who have, oftentimes we, we look at those heresies and it's very interesting that especially theology students who have just started studying, they they see them as these ancient heresies, right? Like, oh yeah, there was a couple of people, they thought this way and the church called them wrong as a whole. Mm-hmm. And, and now we just read about them as, you know, I don't know, potential warning signs that we shouldn't fall into these categories all the while not recognizing how often we fall into these heresies, right? Whether it's the Christological ones or especially the Trinitarian ones, right? Like, I don't think I've ever asked a student to describe the Trinity that hasn't been some kind of modalism, right? Like (laughs) every time it happens. And, but rather that these ways of talking about this actually clarify for us who is Jesus and his humanity and his divinity in ways that actually come together versus this, you know, from Nestorius and this uh, Nestorianism that you called it. Uh, thanks for that, by the way. <laughs> I'm, yeah, I'm going to feel mean. dumb now that I forgot, but I'm blaming it on being tired. But um, I say that to say we need to maybe get into a specific here on this. And there's one that you and I have talked a lot about because of some of the work that I've been doing, Yeah, which really is thinking about Jesus and his humanity in terms of his knowledge and his knowledge of himself and his knowledge of, of being God or not being, you know, not having the knowledge of being God. And, and what does that mean? So I'm going to throw that to you because we've talked somewhat about, you know, this other theologian, biblical scholar, and I don't think we need to name him just because it's not about who's right or wrong here, but yeah, yeah. maybe it kind of explains some of this, like why Jesus' knowledge his knowledge of himself is one of these areas that we struggle with in terms of humanity and divinity and what's a better way of thinking about it. 
Yeah, yeah. No, and I I think this is one of those cases where at times, even on this question, it depends on kind of when we get asked about it, right? So I don't think we have a coherent view, even on this point. But by and large, a lot of us, I think, assume that there's a problem. God knows everything. And we think of that as a like a big quantity, like a, right. a massive amount of data that's out there, like the whole internet, right? How do you download all that into one consciousness, like into one brain? And we think of the, pro- the God-human problem, the incarnation, the communication of attributes, we think of that as a problem where you've got a lot of information, God's knowledge, and then one person. So how do yeah. you translate? And then you've not only got the problem of a bunch of stuff in a particular person's brain, but you've also got, how do you make, sh- you've got the problem of how do you make sure Jesus experience is true to his time? So for instance, one of my theology professors in grad school, you know, would ask us, did Jesus know the world was round or did Jesus know that E equals MC squared or could Jesus, you know, could Jesus have, did he, did he know about the atomic bomb, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Right. Obviously those are questions that are meant to address not only the issue of does he have all knowledge, but also does having knowledge that's not known by everyone else around him, make him an alien. Right. So if Jesus had, you know, known that E equals MC squared, does that make it impossible for him to be an ordinary son of a carpenter in Nazareth? Yeah. Right. That's, but I think that's all of that. While it's understandable, it's, it's a misunderstanding of the fact that God is not one being alongside of all the rest of us and God taking on human life is not the problem of fitting all the knowledge there is into one brain or the fitting this kind of infinite amount of personality into one person. Yeah. That God is not precisely what we're saying when we say that God is infinite and that God is simple. This, what the doctrine of the Trinity rightly understood allows us to say is that for God to be a human person, for God to be this person, Jesus of Nazareth, Mary's son that Joseph cares for, it does not require God to cease being God at all. So put it this directly, the incarnation doesn't change God at all. Like nothing hmm. changes for God Yeah, in becoming flesh. So there is a becoming, he becomes flesh, but that becoming changes humanity. It doesn't change God. Hmm. Yeah. Right, so right. like the, the bottom line point is this, Jesus life from Mary's womb to the tomb of Joseph, like that life, that full life, isn't changing God at all. It's not limiting God. It's not God, the son cut off from God, the father and the spirit. Like it, it, that is the fullness of God lived humanly at every moment in ways that are creating the possibility of what it means to be human. So when Jesus, and this is, this is why an issue like Jesus ignorance, like he doesn't know, he doesn't have a stockpile of knowledge in his head that he can kind of resource like you know some heavenly wikipedia that's been internalized (laughs) like right he knows as humans are meant to know which means he knows exactly what he needs to know 
to obey God, to love his neighbor in any given moment. Right. So you go back to the garden, like the sin that kind of wrecks our humanity is grasping for knowledge we don't need to love well. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Like attempt to get our hands on the way that at least the way that I read the knowledge of good and evil is that that's the sum total of knowledge. Yeah. Like it's a grasp for I want to know everything and I want to know it now. Yeah. Like I want to have all information at my fingertips. So then I can be in control of everything that happens from here on out because I know everything. And that I think is that's at, the, at least near the heart of what it means to be sinful, right? It's to to try to have things that aren't ours to have, at least not now. And so Jesus doesn't do that, right? He doesn't grasp for what he doesn't need in any given moment. Hmm. And we can see this in lots of ways, but that's what's happening in the temptation. I'm not going to turn stones to bread. Like that would be right. grasping for something that I obviously don't need now. Right. Like it's not, I'm hungry, but I don't need it. And yeah, if I needed it. My father would have it here for me. Hmm. If 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 right. it, if it were something that I actually needed, I wouldn't have to resort to magic or dark arts to get it. Like it would be there for me. Yeah, and that's but that's also true when he's twelve years old, right? And when he's in the temple, and he tells his mom, "Like I'm, don't you ha- don't you understand? Like I'm, I'm already feeling that pull toward my my calling." But he willingly goes and spends 18 more years living with them. Growing in stature. Putting it on daily, a, yeah, right? Exactly. Putting it on a hold in a sense, right? Because he doesn't need to do it now. Yeah. The the turning water to wine. When she says, hey, they're out of wine. His first response is, this is not my hour. Right? This is not the moment. So right. there's a kind of endless patience with him. That So... I don't, when we talk about the knowledge of God, we're not talking about a bunch of information that we didn't have to figure out. How does that translate to a, a particular human's brain? The knowledge of God is a way of knowing in which love is done to the full. Hmm. And so this is why Jesus, the infant nursing is loving to the full. I mean, he's doing exactly what an infant should be doing. Yeah. And when he's 12, he does exactly what that young boy should have done. And when he's 30 and so on, right on to the end. And so I I think a lot of these problems are, they're created by us imagining that we know what it is to be human and we know what it is to be God. And now we got to figure out how they relate. Right. But the fact is we don't know either what it means to be human or what it means to be God apart from Jesus. He's the one. Right. Right. And that's the point. Exactly. That's, That's the whole idea of incarnation kind of wrapped up, right? Is that this is the way. Right. I don't mean to be all Mandalorian here, but this is the way, right? <laughs> this, is, this is the way. That's exactly right. Which which I think is is interesting and, and maybe to put it in a different way is to say when we try to take these two things that seem so far apart and we try to in our own rationality put them together, yes, they're gonna be at odds, right? It's one of the reasons why kenosis is such a struggle for many in the church to understand because this term of self-limitation, right? Well, God had to do something to limit himself to be here versus what I like from Gorman and others of this self-giving, right? Like God is acting as God should, as God always will, because it's who God is. And the fullness, I mean, if you think of it as, you know, the Jesus humanity is growing and as he grows, that fullness is shown 
in its fullness in each stage of growth. Yeah. But the fullness of God is present there in the womb as well as on the cross, right? It's not like the more his humanity grows, the more of God there is. Like the fullness of God is always present there in him. Yeah. And it's just then expressed or revealed or raying out from him in ways appropriate to his human growth, to his maturation and fulfillment. Yeah, it, it's like that question. It's like that question that you kind of, you know, the atheist gotcha question, right? Like, can God create a rock that's too big for him to carry? And, and what we get from that question is, well, that's a, just a wrong way of understanding who God is. Absolutely. Right? You're, you're asking a question that whether we call it illogical or we just say that doesn't actually encapsulate the idea or the person of God. Yep. It's the same kind of question when we're asking these questions about Jesus. Well, he must have known everything, all this data, as you kind of put it, but he whether he limited himself or he just willfully ignored it or forgot it or however we want to phrase it, right? You know, that is trying to ask an illogical question of the person of Christ rather than asking what is the what is the right way to think about it. We just ask these kind of questions, right? Well, I, th I think we can. I think we can go even a step further than that. We don't know. I, th I think what we can say is, as I tried to say a moment ago, like he knows everything he needs to know to love right. in any given moment. It's there for him. Like what what he needs to know is present there. But it's not present there in in the catalog way, right? That right. he's it. This is part of what we see. Part again, the doctrine of the Trinity helps us to understand here that his openness to the Spirit is precisely the way in which his humanity reveals the fullness of his sonship. So yeah. he he, of course, as you know, take an example like the that line in the gospels when they ask him about when is this going to happen? And he says, no one knows the day or the hour, not even the son of man, like not even the son of man. Yeah. So some people are scandalized by this. Like how can he be God and not know this? Right. And you get various ways of trying to answer that one would be, you know, he limits himself so that he doesn't know as human, what the things that he knows as God, but that, I think that's misunderstanding. Like we don't, God doesn't have a, like a, data set of knowledge right god is the truth of all things right he doesn't just simply have an aware god's not you know some kind of computational awareness yeah, right? it's not something a computer that can computer. recall the information exactly right? right god is the ground of all that is real yeah. and it is you know god is why the truth is true and the good is good and so on and what's being said there i think is pretty straightforwardly Jesus making the point that that kind of knowledge isn't human. Hmm. Like having that kind of knowledge is, is a grasp for something the serpent tells you you need, but that actually isn't real. Hmm. Yeah. But that, whatever that is, like that isn't a knowable thing. And it's a, when we talk about the father knowing it, what, what he means is this is a divine commitment. It's not, it's not a, um, again, Taking it's not time, some secret right? yeah. bit of data that the father keeps locked away from the son. It's that the, the fullness of time isn't a day or an hour. It's something that encompasses all days and all hours. Yeah. 
and it's tied up with the all of creation coming to its fullness in the father and the father's knowing of that is not like again me having a passcode in my head memorized yeah it is like me receiving my child when she was born like it's it's something that's coming but it's not known that way it's it's right. known otherwise it's known the the knowing of it is the fulfillment of all things the knowing of it is what we mean by the second coming of jesus so i think part of what jesus is doing there is rebuking them for thinking that that reality is something that can be known in the abstract or known again as as we might know a date on the calendar right, right? password for our for our computer like that's there's a different kind of knowing that yeah. is true to who god is and that jesus knows is meant to be shared with us and i think that's a that's a real struggle for us today as human people to recognize that it's not so much it, it it's the fact it's not even so much asking the wrong question as it is perceiving this way in it in, in the wrong way and to say that in a different way it's you know i've got two screens here and I can quickly jump over. If I want to know something, I can jump to Google and just say, yeah. you know, what is this? And there it's the set of, of information that's at my fingertips and I can just know it. Yeah. And we think of God's knowledge in the person of Christ that way. And then, yes. then we get into all these problems because yes. we're taking the way that we think about knowing in the 21st century sense of knowing, or even the 20th or 19th and the books and the not, you know, pursuit of knowledge Yep. And we say that is what we mean by does Christ know all things? Absolutely. That's right? exactly right. It, yeah. We think of it as a catalog of, of information. And that yeah. that's a struggle for people because that's, we're trained to think that way. We're trained to understand knowledge that way. And more than anything, it's, I think for some frightening to go, there's a different way to think about this and, it's not going to provide me this 100% certainty about knowledge. Mm -hmm. You know, we don't have time to get into it, but that's, you know, some of the, some of the, the struggle, if, if people want to go back and listen to old podcasts, but you know, between the way that maybe you were talking about knowledge when we were talking, you know, with Tom Ward, does God know the future? Absolutely. And where, you know, some in kind of an open theistic camp would just say, no, because they do catalog it, right? Like it's, Absolutely. And, and, and to some degree that would be correct because it's, if it's not a catalog, then no, God couldn't. But what you think you brought into that conversation was an orthodox way of thinking about, um, and not that I want to say open theism is like unorthodox. I know, you know what you mean. Yeah. To be clear here. I it's know a, you do. I just want to make sure everyone else knows that I'm not like open theism is yeah. the devil. Like, no, it's untraditional. That doesn't yeah. mean it's unorthodox. Yeah. But, Rather, you are kind of bringing this maybe more ancient Orthodox view mm. that just says, no, no, we're perceiving knowledge the wrong way. When we say, does God know the future? We're asking for something that doesn't quite make sense the way that we would understand knowledge when it comes to God. That's right. And I think part of the the tragedy of that, as we've been you know, dancing around for the last few minutes, is it would make God's knowing more like a computer than it is like a human yeah. and doesn't acknowledge at all. The fact that God's knowing as the one who is 
dwells in unapproachable light, the only immortal one, right, in the language of Scripture, like, that, of course, God's way of knowing is beyond all we can ask or think. His thoughts are not our thoughts. His ways right. are not our ways. I mean, Scripture is filled with this reminding us, right, that God is is not, does not know the way that we know. But even we know in ways that are far more mysterious than a computer knows. And this problem that we've set up for ourselves is largely based on a misapprehension of even human knowing and, and a almost complete abdication of the mystery of divine knowing. Yeah. And it's, it's the same thing with, with presence and will, like whatever the problem is, we tend to think of God as a human being. And some of this has to do, I mean, you made the joke about the Mandalorian, but a lot of this has to do with pop, the way pop culture has taught us to think about alien super intelligence. Right. Right. Because a reflection of, we think of God as like a human being computerized to maximal human capacity. Yeah. Like what would it like, what, what would I be like if I had all information at my fingertips and I had like all the technology I could ever want to get done what it is that my will told me I want to get done, et cetera, et cetera. Right. And then, then we imagine God is something like that. It's, and, it's the, we, we anthrop, we've almost anthropomorphized God so much, the finger of God, the hand of God, the mind of God, the face of God, the, that we, we now kind of make, make that like, if I can think about what it would mean for me to have all knowledge, that's what that, that's what it must mean for God to have all knowledge. Right. We can, we go that way, right. From kind of humanity up to perceive God versus doing what is ineffable, right. To try and understand it from God down, which of course we can't until we talk again about the person of Christ as this Jesus, person yeah. who reveals, so right. Let's let me zero in on this and then we can move if you want. But I think like, think about that line. No one knows the day or the hour. And then think about like my anniversary. So if you ask me, you know, when is your anniversary? I mean, I can tell you the date, right? But that's when I think about knowing my anniversary, there's a lot that goes into that. I think about the trips that my wife and I have taken. I think about you know, wonderful moments we've had on our anniversary. I think about the bad news that we got on one of them. Like I have, I'm bringing a lot to bear there. And of course, yeah. a lot of it I'm feeling like I'm not having particular thoughts, but like when you talk to me about my anniversary, like that's a precious day to me. Like right. heart responds to because it has been a moment of joy so often. Right. So when I think about knowing my anniversary, you can't limit it down to me being able to remember the date. Like I, that a computer can do that. Right. My calendar on my phone reminds me if I need it to, but my knowing of it is so much more mysterious than that. Now, what would it mean to know as God infinitely that it would, would be not just to have feelings or thoughts about it, but to be the source of that meaningfulness hmm. what, what makes it so that it can be yeah. what it is right so that god and this is this is why we immediately when we start to think about the way god knows we immediately move to praise i mean think about how the psalms do that right as soon as we consider what god has done we immediately move to praise because we're hmm. recognizing yeah. that oh god's knowing of this is what made it what it was is what gave it its life, what gave it its beauty, its goodness, its sweetness, yeah. it, its power. And I mean, we're, we're, our, our concept of God is so impoverished. And part of it is because we're working with really cheap accounts of what it means to be God and what it means to be human. 
and then we're just trying to fit them as best we can depending on whatever yeah. the topic is at hand whether it's predestination or heaven or hell or the incarnation like whatever the quote-unquote theological issue is on the table we never stop to think well what do we, do we know what we're talking about when we talk about divine and human knowing yeah. or willing or being yeah i there's, there's so much to be said to that you know and i think this is taking this conversation maybe in a bit of a different way than even we planned to, but I think this is why there is sometimes a resistance to studying theology, to trying to get into conversations, or for churches to really engage with these topics because they feel so, what's the right word here? they kind of shake us up a bit, right? Mm. They, they, they don't, they don't allow us to sit in simple platitudes about God, about Christ, yep. about ourselves. And it's, it can be decentering because we've often centered ourselves on the wrong thing. Absolutely. Right. Um, and, and it's just easier to just not, right? Like it's easier for me to not ponder the humanity and going way back to now, you know, what we said earlier, it's easier for me to not ponder these things about, what does it mean for Christ to be human? Because it's it's difficult and it calls into account the things that I've I've believed, the things my first order of thoughts, my you know the way I've been raised, the way I've perceived it, um, and and that I you know again this is way off topic here, but that is one of the pushes into deconstruction is when we disallow those kind of questions or we say, no, 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 don't ask. Right. Like when we say that, you know, no, you just have to, it, it's simple. It's simple. Just, it's just this thing. It's, you, it's just, just think of it this way. Right. We make it so simple that it almost becomes meaningless and our desire to understand better then kind of is conf conflicted with this. Oh, it's just simple. Yeah. But over yeah, so, right. but it doesn't seem simple to me, right? No, right, absolutely. And I think you know, it's the you know, the Augustinian faith seeks understanding. I think sometimes we've we've given people a quasi faith that does not want to understand. You know, the yeah. a, a quasi faith that avoids understanding because it's it's afraid that that understanding or the effort to understand will void the faith. <laughs> right. And, Right. Like as long as we're afraid of learning, then of course we've not been we've not been claimed by a revelation of who God is. We've just been indoctrinated or, or yeah. brainwashed. I mean, put it however you want. Like we've been co-opted into a belief system that only works if it's not questioned. And this is what I mean by first thoughts, where we give people a bunch of first thoughts, but then implicitly, explicitly tell them whatever you don't don't think about them. Don't think about what they imply don't think about how they relate and of course that's just brainwashing by another name definitely a topic for another podcast at some <laughs> point in the future is christianity a cult yes clearly the answer is no and sometimes no. there are some spaces yeah. that have made it into that right there are some cultic christianities for sure yes um before i let you go you know, we could we could talk about 
a lot of specifics. We could talk at the offices of Christ and we could talk about the roles, but, but maybe just to throw this out there, is there anything else that when saying we have to ponder the humanity of Christ that you would go, we've had all this good conversation. We've kind of gone from, from kind of way up here to, to getting into the weeds about knowledge and how does Christ know, mm. you know, and we've been kind of bouncing back and forth. Is there anything else that you would go, if we have to talk about the humanity of Christ, we cannot walk away without talking about X. Yeah. Uh, let's, let's talk about his ministry. And I think you can identify at least three very distinct functions in, in the way that he serves, the way that he enacts his calling in from baptism to the cross and i I think one of them is his teaching and his preaching so he's he's a preacher he's an itinerant teacher he reads the text and gives sermons he Hmm. tells parables and one of the things to stress here is that he is provocative i mean he gets killed for a reason he is difficult. Like nobody really understands what he's saying. There are some people who think they do and they clearly do not. There are people who think they do and they want to kill him. But the people who generally get him best are the ones who know he's up to something they can't follow. So like the Canaanite woman, you know, like I'll take the crumbs, you know, like yeah. the, the, these kinds of, these are the people who get it best. And, um, uh, I just realized my battery is running low, so we're going to have to wrap up. Um, <laughs> Look at that. Perfect, perfect timing. But the other, I'll, I'll add these two things quickly. So his teaching and preaching, which is challenging, then his miracle working, the exorcisms, like the, like, obviously he's a wonder worker and wherever he goes, he does wonderful things. But then I think the other thing is his presence to children, widows, the sick, the diseased, like he has a way of being present, a friendliness Hmm. that gets him invited to the wedding at Cana that makes it so that women, especially women who are marginalized or abused or mistreated, like they feel so bold in his presence. They feel not just safe. They feel that they can say and do anything. I mean, look at Mary Martha, look at Mary Magdalene. I mean, just right on down the line. Um, I think all of those things are worth turning our attention to again, right? The, the Jesus who teaches, the Jesus who does the miracles and the wonders, but also the Jesus who just knows how to be present. So the children are drawn to him, women are drawn to him, the diseased are drawn to him. Yeah. And that is threatening to the people who should be threatened, right? Like that, right. that hair of fears and that the, you know, the, Simon the Pharisee is troubled by like that. The, the way that he's present, there's something about the way Jesus carries himself as a person that is its own work, right? Apart from what he says and apart from the miracles, like just yeah. a, way he's, a way that he's present that testifies to what it means for God to, to fill us up, right? For what it means for us to be human. Yeah. And in some ways, in order for there to be that, be almost being drawn by the person of Christ is there's that humility to recognize the need of mm-hmm. versus being in a position to go, I don't need, and I actually like to control these bits and pieces, right? Like yeah. I like to like control when the person who's needy, when they are taken care of, right? Yeah. But I mean that he's so 
open-handed about his the humility right and the patience that he that he models yeah in in his his openness to the, the father will care for me right the, the father knows how to care for me and and because he has that he's he's incredibly um attractive presence for all the people who are in need and a repelling presence for all the people who are trying to control right in the world. right oh you know like i said we could talk about this for so long i mean i think i, I don't think it sounds ironic to say that I don't think there's enough time spent on the person of Christ, but I, I don't, right? I think we, I agree. like Absolutely. like I said, we bypass. And this is someone who, of course, you know, my work has been a lot of time in Paul. And I go, eh, all right, maybe we should go back to Jesus some more. But uh, I appreciate you taking the time, Chris. I appreciate no you always responding to my text messages and not just being like, I'm ignoring that when he's asking me questions about, you know, X, Y, or Z. That's also just... Oh. Just yeah. my personal thanks to you. Oh, I would I would love it. And I'm hope we'll get a chance to do a conversation about the the arts too that you mentioned. That looks sounds fun. Yeah. That'll be a little teaser for everyone that we will. You know, Game of Thrones, Lord of the Rings, dark humor, dark comedy, authenticity, all these kind of things that are floating around, especially in our current culture, um, to talk about them and what that means. But Let's Chris I always appreciate you, man. Thank you, brother. Thanks for being Get here. Get some rest. I know you need some, and I'll uh, I'll talk to you soon. Okay. We will. 